0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show I'd like to thank a listener in Cannington, Ontario, Ron Davies For sending me a wonderful note about the show And let me quote, There's not an evening that goes by without listening to Theater of the Mind. I couldn't think of a better way to end the day. Listening to the various programs, some of my favorites are Our Miss Brooks, Dragnet, Fibber McGee and Molly, The Great Gildersleeve, The Lone Ranger, and Challenge of the Yukon. One program, he goes on to say, I'd like to hear if you can find any one of them, is The Black Museum with Orson Welles. Thanking you once again, Frank, with best wishes, Ron Davies. Well, Ron, you can imagine that for a guy like me to receive a note like that, why, well, it's almost as good as getting a raise. Yeah, well, okay, let's not get carried away, but thank you. So, tonight we do have an episode of The Black Museum for you. It was a radio crime drama program produced by Harry Towers in London, England. It was broadcast in Europe on Radio Luxembourg, a commercial radio station, and wasn't broadcast by the BBC until 1991. In 1946, Harry Towers and his mother, Margaret Miller Towers, started a company called towers of london that sold various syndicated radio shows around the world the black museum was based on real life cases from the files of scotland yard's black museum and the program was transcribed in 51 and was broadcast in the united states december 31st of 1952 more than 500 of the network stations carried it Ira Marion was the scriptwriter, and music for the series was composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Now, Orson Welles was both host and narrator for stories of horror and mystery based on Scotland Yard's collection of murder weapons and the various ordinary objects once associated with historical true crime cases. Walking through the museum, Welles would pause at one of the exhibits and his description of an artifact served as a device to lead into a wryly narrated, dramatized tale of a brutal murder or vicious crime. Tonight, we hear the story behind the twenty-two caliber pistol. This
2: is Orson Welles, speaking from London. The Black Museum, the repository of death. Yes here in the grim stone structure on the Thames, which houses Scotland Yard, is a warehouse of homicide, where everyday objects a skillet, a screwdriver, a photograph all are touched by murder.
3: Here's
2: a 22-caliber pistol. It's a familiar object. You've seen one or it's picture, never touched one. An elegant little weapon, blue steel. Mother of Pearl inlaid grip, beautiful in its dainty, snub nosed wickedness.
4: A lady's weapon, wouldn't you say, Pepper? Looks as if it wouldn't harm a fly. Pretty in its way, Inspector. Pretty and dangerous. There ought to be a law forbidding the manufacture of these toys. Every one of them is capable of death.
2: Well, today, this little blue 22 can be found among the exhibits. Here we are, in the Black Museum, Scotland Yard's Museum of Murder. It's an impressive place, with a kind of echoing awe which comes from a vaulted ceiling and somber lighting, weird, fantastic, with a harsh, real fantasy that comes with murder. Here lies death, and so neatly. Each object placarded with a small white card labeled with black lettering, name, place, date. Disposition of the case. Here's an odd-looking ashtray, soapstone. It's carved rather nicely with the crouching figure of a woman. Something decorative for your living room, but observe closely now the red brown stain on the rim. Lift up the tray, hold it by the figure of the woman. Well, yes, it's comfortable in your hand. And-, and suddenly, this is a weapon. Ah, here we are. A little blue twenty-two. It's silent now. It was silent, too, during Vivian Davis's cocktail party in London's smart, sophisticated West End. In Vivian's quite she apartment. It was not destined to be silent, though. Not very long. It's a nice place, Vivian's apartment, if you go for ultra-modern glass and metal combinations. Nice people, too. Well, nice-looking, anyway. Young men are quite, quite impeccable. The young ladies are lovely, lush, well-aware of the well-put-together attractiveness. Oh, yes, these are the chic young people. (laughs) Larry,
6: darling, have you been watching Vivian and Donald? Uh,
7: What else, sweet? They are at dagger points, aren't they?
6: Well, frankly, Larry, if Viv has one more martini, she'll kill Donald with a look.
7: An alcoholic look, at any rate. But why all the fuss and bother? If Donald wants to play, she ought to let him. I know at least three males were perfectly willing to give Viv a time, really. Mm -hmm. Including yourself, Larry, my sweet? No, darling, I'm the fourth. But
2: then why bother? A trifle strange, isn't it? The ultra-sophisticated, the over-civilized, and yet, you know, beneath the polish, the same old jealousy that you can find in savages. Oh, yes, simple jealousy. For instance, at this moment, Vivian herself is approaching the chrome and plastic bar where Donald is mixing a drink.
6: Donald, haven't you
2: had enough? You're quite tight, you know. Am I, really?
6: I asked you, Donald. Haven't you had enough? I don't believe I have.
8: Uh, you have one, dear?
6: I've had enough, let me tell you. Uh, This is my party. You might be polite enough to pay some attention to me and a little less to that strawberry blonde. Ah,
7: she's quite attractive in a leggy sort of
8: way.
2: Oh, yes, quite elemental beneath the polished surface. An interesting situation. It continues, of course, as long as the party lasts. (laughs) It continues, as a matter of fact, well past the end of the party, even to the moment when May and Larry are making their farewells. The last of the guests to go.
6: Oh, it was simply marvellous, Viv, darling. Just delightful. I
7: always adore your parties, Viv. The liquor flows like water.
6: Oh, thank you both for coming. My little parties wouldn't be the same without you. Isn't that so, Donald?
7: Huh? Yes, uh, yes, of course. Coming, Donald, though, Well, I don't exactly Oh, know Larry, I... please. What? Oh, Put my foot in it, not I? am sorry, old man. Au revoir, Viv. Let the martinis run again sometime soon.
6: Bye, darling. Ring me, won't you? Oh, soon, darling. Quite soon.
7: <laughs> Donald's for it now. Did you see
6: the look in her eyes? Come along, dear. Don't be catty. Oh, I don't know. <laughs>
2: the party's over now. Silence descends on the carpeted hallway. For a moment or two. And then through the muffling walls.
6: You stupid little, silly little beast on that woman.
8: Oh, stop it, Viv, I'm not interested in her. I Don't no, so you to make try. me look like I'm a perfect idiot. Man
2: versus woman. A jealous woman. Where does it go? Isn't it obvious? Of course.
8: Somebody's bound to be hurt. <laughs>
2: Inspector Summers and Detective Pepper arrived quickly from the yard.
4: This seems to be the weapon, Inspector. A twenty-two, Blue steel, mother-of-pearl grip. A lady's weapon, wouldn't you say, Pepper? Looks as if it wouldn't harm a fly. Pretty in its way, Inspector. Pretty and dangerous. There ought to be a law forbidding the manufacture of these toys. Every one of them is capable of death. Funny. What is? The body out here. On the landing. Yes. Well, we'll find the reason for that shortly. Not much blood. Twenty-twos don't make much of a hole. Uh, stay here, Pepper. I want the pathologist to see the body before it goes to the morgue. You know the procedure. I'll be inside with the uh, prime and only suspect. Yes, sir. I understand. I <laughs> understand. All right. Tell me how it happened. Don't
6: you dare to talk to me like that.
4: Take hold of yourself, Miss Davis. I need the answers to a few questions. I'll answer that.
6: Don't you dare. That's my telephone.
4: Yes? No. This is Inspector Summers of Scotland Yard. I see. I'm sorry, Lady Munsey. You can't speak to your daughter just now. Yes, She'll be coming down to the yard. You can come there if you wish. Goodbye.
6: Now will you leave me alone? You know who my mother is.
4: Which do you prefer, to answer my questions here or to come down to the yard?
6: I refuse to answer anything.
4: That won't look well
6: in the report, miss. Oh, get out of here. Get out of here. Take hold of yourself, Miss Davis. I told you and told you. Donald and I were arguing. I suppose I grabbed the gun from under the pillow where I keep it. He tried to take it away from me. And next I knew there was a shot and he was mumbling something about his doctor. And then, then and he was dead. No, oh, now leave me alone. Leave me alone.
2: Inspector Summers felt that further questioning was indicated. The location he chose was his own office at the Yard. Where did you get the gun, Miss Davis?
6: My husband gave it to me several years ago. Are you married? I was. I'm divorced.
2: Inspector Summers thought of many questions.
4: Where did you struggle over the gun?
6: In the bedroom.
4: I see. Why do you use linoleum for a floor covering in the bedroom?
6: Oh, because it's easy to keep clean, and because it's chic, and because. Oh, what has that to do with Donald?
2: I'm asking the questions, Miss Davis. Oh, yes, there were many, many questions.
4: How long have you lived at that address? How long did you know Donald Martin? Have you ever bought any ammunition for that gun? What were you quarreling about?
2: It went on and on. And finally.
4: Very well, Miss Davis. We shan't hold you. But don't leave London. And uh, your mother is waiting for you. You better go home with her. We are sealing your apartment.
2: An inconvenient matter. Violent death from a gunshot wound. Apartments are sealed. People investigate. One's whole life is turned inside out. And then there are the experts.
9: The scientific facts contradict some of Miss Davis's statements, Inspector. They do? For instance? There's no evidence of any scorching of the clothing around the bullet hole. From that fact and the spread of the smoke stain... I deduce that the gun was held from three to six inches from Martin's chest. As the blood ran down the chest, he must have been standing at the time. It would be practically impossible for him to hold the weapon himself in that position. Could he have clutched the barrel, say, in an attempt to take it away from Miss Davis? In that case, his fingers would be singed, or at least blackened. They are not. I do not believe that the man was touching the weapon at all when it was fired.
2: An embarrassing conclusion, to say the least. There were other things...
4: I've checked Martin's shoes at the morgue, Inspector. Well? If they struggled in that bedroom, on that polished linoleum floor, his shoes would have had to scratch the floor. They're leather-soled and they have metal taps on the tips. Very good. Another discrepancy. Now, uh, Pepper, I think we'd better have a bit of a talk with the neighbors. Are you certain of that, Mrs. Merritt?
6: I am. Positive. It's not the first time they yelled at each other, those two. And the walls are thin.
4: Do you have it down, Pebble? Yes, sir. They had a quarrel about two weeks ago. He left. She leaned out of the window, only half-dressed, and shouted at him, Laugh, baby, laugh for the last time. And then she fired a gun at him. Thank you. Now then, Mrs. Merritt, before the shot last night, uh, did you catch any of the words they said?
6: yes. Oh, no, sir. But, well, her bedroom is next to mine. And I heard her say as clear as day and at the top of her lungs, I will kill you.
4: Thank you, Mrs. Merritt. Anything else? No, sir. Very well. Uh, Let's go, Pepper. All right, Pepper. I think we have the makings of a case. Pick her up. We'll book her for willful murder.
2: And today... The Little Blue 22, which was to play such an important part in the case, can be seen among the other exhibits in the Black Museum.
5: And now we continue with The Black Museum starring Orson Welles.
2: As the inspector said, they felt they had a case. The evidence was piling up. Vivian Davis was arrested. Her defense counsel was a distinguished member of the bar. and The prosecutor assigned was no less brilliant. But some of the conversation about the case was, was, well, a lot less brilliant. Why,
6: if Larry and I had stayed, we might have seen the whole thing. And darling, those letters. Imagine leaving letters like that lying in your bureau drawer, where anyone might find them. And do you suppose the prosecution will use them for evidence? (laughs) This is one trial I simply shall not miss.
7: Let me say here and now, if May owns a gun, I'm walking out, and at once. But Viv always was unstable, you know. That's the kind who'll pull a gun on you when you least expect it. Not for me, old man. Not for me.
6: I always said she was no better than you'd think. Wild parties at all hours, firing guns around, drinking... Oh, I dare say the woman wasn't happy. But then who is? Now, I ask you, who is? Poor Viv. I understand the food in prison is all starches.
7: See in the headlines? This is a juicy one, what?
6: I'm to be a witness. You don't say. Really, now. You don't say.
2: They tried the case in public gossip long before it came to proper trial. And when the proper trial began, the courtroom was crowded naturally with bright young women and polished young men, the familiars of the defendant. This, however, failed to ruffle the solemnity of a British court.
4: I shall permit no demonstrations. At the least lapse from proper decorum, I shall have the courtroom cleared.
2: And that settled that. The trial proceeded. Vivian Davis in simple black sat in the dock between the two wardresses assigned to her. On the witness stand, the pathologist repeated his evidence and his conclusions with the prosecution. There was no cross-examination. With Inspector Summers, it was another matter.
9: Inspector, you heard the prison doctor testify that when Miss Davis was admitted to the prison after her arrest, he found bruises on her arms and on one thigh. Yes, sir. And that such bruises might have been sustained in a struggle. Yes, sir. Very well. Now then, in your experience, have you found that when one person handles a gun, that person's fingerprints are usually found on the weapon? That has been my experience. However, if two parties struggled for possession of a certain weapon, would there be fingerprints? In most cases, no, sir. They tend to smudge or eliminate each other's prints. This weapon, which you've identified and which has been entered in evidence as Exhibit A... Did you find this weapon at the scene of the alleged crime? I did. Did you examine it carefully? I did. Did you have it tested for fingerprints? I did. Did you find any? Yes, sir. How many sets?
4: Only one set of prints were on that gun.
9: Whose were they, Inspector? Now tell the jury, please, whose fingerprints were on that gun?
4: Only my own.
9: One more point, Inspector. You stated that you found a bullet in the wall of the bedroom. Correct? Yes, sir. Have you any reason to believe this bullet was fired on the night of the alleged crime? It Could have been fired at any time, I suppose. Thank you, Inspector. That's all.
2: Mrs. Merritt, the eager next-door neighbor, had her proverbial day in court.
6: Yes, sir. Just as I told the inspector, she screamed at him, hanging out of the window only half-dressed, and then she fired a shot at him
2: counsel for the defense spent a little time in the cross-examination of Mrs. Merritt.
9: Madam, did you actually see Miss Davies fire a pistol or gun of some sort at the deceased?
6: I heard the shot after she yelled at him.
9: You said she was only half-dressed at the time. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Then you must have seen her.
6: Well, I took one look, and after that I only listened.
9: Why? Why, Mrs. Merritt?
6: When a woman is in her condition, no other woman cares to watch her.
9: I see. This is your opinion. It certainly is. Your Lordship, I respectfully request that the answers to the last two questions be stricken from the record as constituting an opinion and not evidence. Further, on the grounds that opinions are not warranted, as the witness is not qualified as an expert. What?
4: The uh, clerk will strike the last two answers from the record, and the jury is instructed
9: to ignore the testimony. Uh, Proceed. No further questions. Thank you, Mrs. Meredith.
2: Back and forth the battle raged, a battle for a woman's life. A case for the Crown was ably presented. The defense, by cross-examination, by objections in the record, sought to upset testimony to establish points which could be played upon later, the climax of the trial, when Vivian Davis herself took the stand in her own defense.
9: Now, Miss Davis... Do you understand the seriousness of this situation? Of course. I refer to the testimony that you once fired a gun at Donald Martin from your bedroom window. Is this true? No, it's not true. What did happen that evening?
6: He'd come to see me. He'd asked me for money to pay a gambling debt, And I refused. We quarreled. And he left. I was furious and I called to him from my window. Then I went back into the room and fired one shot to make him think I'd kill myself.
9: What happened then?
6: Oh, Donald. Mr. Martin came rushing back and we, we were friends again.
9: Miss Davis, have you ever pointed a weapon at Mr. Martin? No, never. Have you wanted to? No, never. Did you shoot him the night he died? No. Have you any recollection of his having spoken to you between the time he was shot and the moment he died?
6: I'll never forget it as long as I live. What did he say? He said, "I wish the doctor would hurry. I, I want to tell him that this was an accident. It's not your fault." He said it over and
8: over, and then he was dead. Thank you, Miss Davis.
9: Your witness. Pull yourself together, Miss Davis.
6: Yes, yes,
9: sir. Very well. I submit, Miss Davis, that the truth of your first public quarrel... is, as it was stated by a previous witness... that you did fire out of your window at Mr. Martin.
6: Oh, no, never. I fired in the room. I wanted to frighten
9: him. Miss Davis, is this your pistol? Yes. Is this the weapon which killed Mr. Martin? Yes. And on the night this gun... Your gun killed Mr. Martin. You had a quarrel, a second quarrel. Yes. You were, to put it simply, jealous of his behavior with
6: other women. Oh, I was so jealous. I threatened to kill myself.
9: You threatened to kill yourself? Yes. Then why did you shout, I will kill you? No, 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 I never said that. What did you say, Miss Davis? I may I have said, I'll shoot myself. The other, I never
6: said. Why should I? I... I was jealous, but that was because I loved him. Oh, you've
8: got to believe me. I loved him. I did. I did.
2: There was more, much more, over and over. But they never managed to shake her on the essential points.
6: I never pointed a gun at Donald in my life.
2: And, of course.
6: I never said I'd kill him. I said I'd kill myself.
2: At long last, with Vivian Davis on the verge of collapse, the prosecutor let her go. Shortly thereafter, the defense rested. Summations were brief. For the prosecution?
0: This woman is guilty of the crime with which she is charged.
9: There is no doubt in our minds, minds, nor should there be any in yours, that she held the pistol and fired the shot.
2: For the defense?
9: It is clear that no woman kills the man she loves, despite the violence of their cause.
4: This was an accident. It is
9: clear that it was an
2: accident. The presiding justice was clear and concise in his charge to the jury.
4: Gentlemen of the jury, in conclusion, let me advise you there are three possible verdicts you may return under the present indictment guilty of murder, guilty of manslaughter, or not guilty of any offense. I commend the accused to your most painstaking deliberations.
2: The jury filed out. They stayed out for two long, weary hours. There was chatter in the courtroom. How was But even the gossip was subdued. Everybody waited. Waited.
6: Well, it seems perfectly incredible. A murder trial, and I've been in on it since the beginning. Well, I do hope the judge wasn't as much against her as he seemed to be.
7: It was really too exciting for words. I've had more dinner invitations because I know fear Oh, well, after all, the poor girl might be hanged, you know.
8: Grisly thought.
6: Well, for my part, even if she gets off, there'll be one advantage. She'll never be my neighbor again, and that will be an improvement, I'd say.
2: And at long last, the waiting was over. The prisoner arose in the dock at the judge's request. The foreman of the jury faced the prisoner in the court. The age-old formula was intoned by the clerk.
10: Members of the jury,
9: have you agreed upon a verdict? We have. Do you find the prisoner
4: guilty or not guilty of murder? Not guilty. Do you find the prisoner guilty or not guilty of manslaughter? Not guilty.
2: Yet, despite that verdict, the little blue twenty-two can be seen today among the exhibits in the Black Museum.
5: Orson Wells will be back with you in just a moment. In person is Orson Welles.
2: Yes, they let Vivian Davis go free. In many minds, the question was, and still is, did Vivian Davis get away with murder? Frankly, I don't believe anyone gets away with murder. Murder stays with a killer, twisting mind and heart and soul, even in the unsuspected and therefore unsolved cases. Where Vivian Davis was concerned, perhaps the real crime was insecurity and... The kind of violent jealousy that grows from fear. I don't know. That's for the psychologists, not for you and I to decide. Meanwhile, the little blue 22 remains in its customary place, in Scotland Yard, in the Black Museum. And now, until we meet again next time, in the same place, and I tell you another story about the Black Museum, I remain, as always, obediently yours.
5: Museum starring Orson Welles is presented by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Radio Attractions. The program is written by Ara Marion, with original music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers.
1: tune for The Great Gildersleeve next on Theatre of the Mind. Time now for The Great Gildersleeve and the story of his arrival in Summerfield.
0: Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> yeah!
5: At this time, the Kraft Cheese Company presents, for your enjoyment, Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Evans. And now for the adventures of the Great Gildersleeve.
11: Where Pippa McGee and Molly live? Yes, madam. Oh, my. Do you think I'll be able to see them from the train window?
2: No, lady. The McGees are on their vacation. Oh. (laughs) But, say, there's a next-door neighbor of theirs, Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Where? Where? That portly gent with the mustache on the platform, the one making a speech to his
12: employees.
11: How do you know they're his employees?
12: Because every time he goes away, he gives them an hour off to come down to the station and wave goodbye. Oh, so that's
11: Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, I...
10: I can't tell you how touched I am to see all the employees of the Gildersleeve Girdle Works down here at the station to bid me goodbye. (laughs) It's indeed... uh, By the way, is there anyone left at the plant? Uh, Well, uh, no. What if some orders come in? who take the phone Uh, calls? Uh, Mert. Oh, Mert, eh? (laughs) As I was saying while I'm away, I expect every one of you to uphold Gildersleeve girdles to the best of your ability. And don't forget our motto. If you want the best, of course, it's Of course, it's
3: Gildersleeve. (laughs) Very good, T.P., very good.
10: Thank you, thank you. You'll get a raise. (laughs) And though it's necessary for me to go away and attend to other enterprises, the one thing closest to my heart is the Gildersleeve girdle.
11: How long will you be gone, T.P.?
10: At least three days, and maybe till the end of the week. (laughs) Oh, before you go, T.P., the Gildersleeve Girdle Workers Guild
12: wishes to present you with this handsome leather briefcase as Uh token of our esteem for you.
10: Me? I don't know what to say except Yes, all aboard. Oh no. Oh my goodness. Out of my way, everybody. Where are my bags? On
11: the train, PP.
10: Thanks. I forgot to buy a ticket. Where do I buy a ticket? On the train, PP. Oh yes. Let go of me, boys. Where are you pushing me? On the train, PP. Goodbye, children. (laughs) Goodbye, children. Here's your ticket, Mr. Gildersleeve. Sorry I haven't any berths left. Uh, Couldn't you squeeze me in somewhere?
9: I'll try, though it'll probably be a tight squeeze.
10: (laughs) (laughs) Tight squeeze. (laughs) Side splitting, isn't it? Going to be in Summerfield long? Oh, no, just three or four days. I'm taking over the administration of my brother-in-law's estate. They're going to run it for my niece and nephew. Uh, But that's quite involved, and I'm hungry. Which way is the diner? Why, an old, experienced traveler like you should know where the diner is. Huh? Oh, of course. No matter where you are, the diner's always at the other end of the train. (laughs) See you later. Excuse me, madam. Uh, Pretty crowded in this diner. By George, I'm so hungry I could eat the waiter. Yes, sir? Is it all right if I sit at this table? Yes, sir. Sit right down, sir. If this gentleman doesn't mind reading his paper on his own side. I said if this gentleman doesn't mind reading his paper on his own side. Excuse me, sir. Does you mind?
12: Yes, I do. I'm particular whom I eat
10: with. (laughs) You are, eh? Well, I'm not. I'm hungry. Waiter, bring me a steak. A nice, juicy, double tenderloin rare.
12: Waiter, where's my milk toast? I ordered it 15 minutes ago. I'm sorry, but milk toast takes time, you know.
10: And, waiter, I want a big heaping plate of French fries. Yeah, French fries. And a cup of strong coffee with lots of cream. Yeah, I'll get it right away.
12: And bring me my milk toast made with gluten bread, remember?
10: Yes. Bread. Oh, that reminds me. Some hot biscuits and a little pot of jam.
12: Gluten bread toasted and a cup of hot water.
10: Uh, and an apple pie a la mode with cheese. Yeah, with cheese.
12: I can't stand this. Listening to you is giving me heartburn.
10: <laughs> <laughs> it is, huh? Waiter, uh, don't forget the steak sauce, ketchup, piccalilli, and relish.
12: Bring me a glass of bicarbonate of soda, quick.
10: <laughs> yes, uh, right away. I'll be back. Of course, it's none of my business, mister.
12: And don't stick your nose
10: in it. You... Well, all right, that's the way you feel about it. I was just going to tell you you're getting your newspaper in the mustard. I
12: don't use mustard.
10: Oh, I guess you don't need any. But what I was going to say was... Never mind, never mind, never mind. Okay, I won't say it then. That mustard from your newspaper is all over your sleeve now.
12: I don't care. What? All the messes
10: I... <laughs> Water only spreads it. <laughs> you see what I tell you? I'll thank you to mind your own business. What's the big idea jumping down my throat?
12: What do you expect, addressing a perfect
3: stranger?
10: You're far from perfect stranger. (laughs) And from now on, I'm going to make a career out of ignoring you. Uh, here comes my food. That's pretty snappy service, waiter. Uh, Yes,
12: sir. Well, where's my milk toast? Yeah, I'm sorry, sir, but the chef is all out of glutton bread. (laughs) He wants to know, would Pumpernickel do just as well? No, Pumpernickel wouldn't do just as well. Why keep me waiting all the time while you serve this big buffalo the minute he sits down?
10: No, look here, mister.
12: I don't want to look here. I'm sick of the sight of you. The idea. An overstuffed ox like you, guttling and gobbling and gorging yourself like an ostrich. I've got a bad case of indigestion already just from looking at you.
10: Why, you dyspeptic little dodo! Just because you're mean to your stomach and your stomach talks back to you, you bellyache. Excuse the expression. (laughs) (laughs) You're not suffering from indigestion. You're just green with epicurean envy.
12: I won't sit here Here's your bicarbonate of soda, mister. (laughs) Take it away. Take it away. I need something stronger than that now. I've got some pills down here in my briefcase.
10: Just a minute there. What are you doing with my briefcase? Your
12: briefcase? This is mine.
10: It is not. My employees gave it to me just this afternoon.
12: Take your fat paws off of my briefcase before
10: I... Before eat. you watch, you dried-up little crab apple. <laughs> now, wait a minute, gentlemen, please. Let go of my briefcase. Oh, well now,
3: it's mine. Why oh, the idea uh, Oh, yes, now, ma'am. Now,
11: waiter. Waiter. Did you see anything of my briefcase? I left it... Oh, you gentlemen have it. Thank you so much.
3: Well, <laughs>
10: there you are, Mr. Gildersleeve. I've located a berth for you at last. Oh, that's fine, Conductor. I was getting tired of sitting around here in my pajamas. Where is it? It's uh, upper nine in the next car. Upper nine? Oh, my goodness. The last time I was in an upper berth was, uh, let me see, uh, 50 pounds ago. <laughs> the porter's making it up for you now. Yeah, thanks. I do hope that porter gives me a wide berth. Well, uh, it's a dark in Oh Oh, Porter? Uh, Porter? Quiet! Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Must be sleepy. Oh, Porter?
8: Yeah, sir?
10: Have you got up or nine ready yet?
11: Yes, but I didn't anticipate no gentleman's of such ample proportions.
10: Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I'd better take a ladder.
11: Yes, would better take two. They're small.
10: Well, all right, come on.
11: Yes, hey, here we are, right up there, sir.
10: Up there? Mm. Oh, my goodness. Hold these ladders steady, Porter. Remember, if they tip, I won't.
11: It's... Yeah, sir. Now, be careful, mister. The train's coming to a sharp for pretty soon.
10: When? Then. Oh! Hold on, Mr. Ladders, Mike. I can't hold on. I'm coming
3: down. Look out below. Oh! No! Watch it, me.
10: Oh, my
3: sacrilege.
12: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, miss, let me have ya. I don't want to get up. I want to sleep. Not you, miss. The man in Doppa. He's now in the lower. And where am I? You're
10: right here, brother.
12: Get off of my poor stomach. Who is it? Uh? Oh, it's you. What are you doing sneaking into my berth? I'm not sneaking
10: into <laughs> your... <laughs> I'm not sneaking. I'm trying to climb into bed. I'm your upstairs neighbor.
12: <laughs> Isn't that nice? I hope that swinging shelf snaps shut on you.
10: Oh, yeah. If it's gonna swing. I'll see if it swings your way. And if I land on you again, brother, you'll spend the rest of the night sleeping in the road bed.
12: Oh, quiet. Let me go to sleep.
10: Okay, Grandpa. Unpleasant dreams. All right, Porter. Give me a leg up again, will you? Thirty-two thousand four hundred and seventy-three. Thirty-two thousand four hundred and seventy-four. Thirty-two thousand four hundred and seventy-five. Oh my goodness. Two o'clock already, and still not a wink. Yes, thirty-two thousand four hundred and seventy-six. Thirty-two thousand four hundred and seventy-eight. Oh, what's the use? There's only some way of stopping that buzzsaw down there. I can't stand this any longer. Where's that porter? I'll fix this guy.
12: You call me, sir?
10: Yes. Would you mind getting me a drink of ice water? I can't sleep.
3: Yes. Yes.
11: Here's the water, mister. Uh,
10: Thank you. You needn't wait. (laughs) Good night, good night. Good night, sir. Yes. Now, if I can hold this cup in this hand and open the lower curtain with it. Ah, I've got it. Yes. Steady now, gildersleeve. Ready. Aim.
3: (laughs) Oh, no. What was that?
10: Porter,
12: Porter <laughs> what is it, sir? Shut this window, will you? It's raining right in on my face
10: <laughs> Quiet, can a man get any rest around here?
3: <laughs> Good morning, sir He's just pulling
12: into uh, Summerfield. You want me to brush y'all?
10: No, I'll walk down the steps like the rest of the passengers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 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 By the way, uh, Porter, you've given me such good service. Here's an order for a gilded sleeve girdle for your wife.
11: Uh, Thank you, sir. I happen to be a spinster at the moment. (laughs) But if it's alright with you, I'll put it in my hope chair.
3: Yes. <laughs>
10: yes, that's perfectly alright. Uh, Summerfield, eh? By George, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing Marjorie and little Leroy again.
11: Well, why can't I, Marjorie? Huh? can't I call him TP like they do down at his foundry? It isn't a foundry, Leroy. It's a... Oh, never mind. It's nothing that concerns little boys. And I'm sure that he will prefer to have you call him Uncle Throckmorton. Oh, shucks. You can't go around calling a big tough guy who runs a steel foundry Throckmorton. <laughs> it's positively degradatory. It's derogatory. Yeah, it's that too. Leroy. Who told you Uncle Throckmorton was in the steel business? Nah, you thought you were so smart. I saw one of his letterheads. The Gildersleeve Girder Company. Hmm? <laughs> oh. Oh, yes. The Gildersleeve Girder Company. Gee, he should be here by now, shouldn't he, Marjorie? Now, don't you worry, Leroy. Just as soon as his train arrives... Mr. Wills will bring him here for breakfast. Oh, I wanted to go down to the station, too. I know, but Ted has to discuss all the legal details with Uncle Crockmorton before we go to court. Say, you're getting pretty darn stuck on that Ted guy, aren't you? Why, Leroy, Forrester, I am not. Ted Wills is really our lawyer. He is not. Williams and Williams, Willie's, and Wills are our lawyers, and Ted's nothing but the tail end. (laughs) Well, he's young yet. You just give him time. Oh, there you go. Who say, how's if I should call him Uncle Morton? Call who? Oh, Uncle Scott Morton. Well, I don't think he would object to that. Wait, I can do better than that. How's this? Uncle Mort. Who's that? Uncle Mort. I'll answer
10: it. Well, 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 I'll bet this is little Leroy.
11: Hi, Uncle Mort. Hi, who? You, Uncle Mort. You don't mind if I call you Uncle Mort, do
10: Uncle Mort? <laughs> no, not at all. Go right ahead. Uncle Mort, eh? <laughs> I like that. And this is Marjorie, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, Marjorie, eh? Come uh, here, my dear. <laughs> my, how you grown? <laughs>
11: Hello, Uncle Frostmorton. Let me take your hat and coat. Will you have some breakfast?
10: Uh, No, thanks. I've already had mine on the Well, I'll have a cup of coffee.
11: (laughs) (laughs) Sit right here, Uncle. Ted, you sit over there.
10: Oh, thanks. My, this looks wonderful.
11: Hey, Unc, will you take me back to Whistle Vista with you and let me work in your factory?
10: Uh, what? Well, I didn't think you'd be interested in that sort of thing.
11: Now, Leroy... See, I am, Uncle Mort. That must be some way out... I bet you make the supports for a lot of big projects there.
10: Uh, 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 we don't turn out anything much like... Uh, we sort of confine ourselves to a uh, foundation. Oh. Uh,
3: Say, I'd like to go
11: along sometime when you install some of those foundations. I don't have...
10: But what did you say, young man?
11: Oh, uh, please excuse me, Royal Gilmore. He's been like that ever since he found out that you owned the Gildersleeve Girder Company.
10: What? Uh, Gildersleeve Girder? Uh, oh, uh, yes, I see it all now. <laughs> yes, a bright boy. <laughs>
11: Slug it out with any of them tough steel workers of yours?
10: Uh, no, no, I never do.
11: You
3: know,
10: huh? Uh, oh, well, uh, of course. Uh, there have been times when I've had to put uh, more snap into their work. <laughs> yeah. and once I was so angry, I picked up a badly made uh, foundation and bounced it right off the foreman's head. <laughs> you
11: did? Yeah. Oh. Now, Leroy, let your uh, uncle Edie's breakfast. Yeah. Have some toast, Uncle Moore.
10: No, thanks. Ooh, uh, speaking of toast reminds me of an amusing incident on the train last night. Uh, you'll enjoy this, Leroy. When I went into the diner, the only empty chair was at the table with the dog. Heard that new rat yell when the ice water hit him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's time we leave for court, Mister Gildersleeve. It is. Uh, come on, kids. This won't take long. <laughs> Well, all I can say is we run things better than this in Whistled Vista. Eleven o'clock and the judge hasn't even shown up yet. Judge Hooker's usually very prompt. Yes, the trouble with some of these judges is they think they're little tin gods. Take those black robes away from them and what have they got? Bow legs. <laughs> <laughs>
11: Gee, that's a hot one, Uncle yeah, I'm glad you like it. Everyone rise, please. Ah, next. Superior Court, Department 25, the
12: Honourable hit Hitter, took Hooker, Judge, for is now in session.
11: Down, Uncle
10: Thank you. Oh my goodness, who's that man sitting in the judge's chair? Well, that's Judge Hooker. Judge Hooker? That's the man in the lower berth.
12: Cross-martyred for appointment as administrator of the state of Ray Park.
10: That's us. Come on, Mr. Gilbertsleeve. I'm not feeling very well, Ted. (laughs) Uh, Couldn't we postpone this over to another judge?
11: Oh, come on, Uncle Mort. Remember what you said. This guy will be a
12: pushover.
10: Yes, a pushover. Now,
12: come on, come on. Step up. Don't go I
10: got all day. Make a snappy post. The judge is pretty short-tempered this morning. He didn't get any sleep last night. Oh, my.
5: <laughs> <laughs> uh, your Honor, with your permission, I'll put Mr. Gildersleeve on the stand first. Go
12: you ahead, know, Mr. Wells. Yeah. in the witness belt? Do you promise
3: where to tell
12: the truth the whole truth about the truth, yet? Huh? I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, do your don't you speak, huh? I do. That voice is very familiar. <laughs> Turn around, Mr.... Oh, so it's you. Yes. Uh,
10: hello, Judge.
3: <laughs>
12: Mr.
10: Wills. Yes, Your Honor.
12: I will examine this man's qualifications if you don't mind. No,
10: I don't, Your Honor. But I do. Silence. <laughs>
12: now then, Gildersleeve, what do you do
10: for a living? I make girdles, Your Honor. Order in the court. Order in the
8: court. Yeah.
10: Order in the court.
8: Order.
10: Order.
12: Gildersleeve, any more cheap humor and I'll judge you in contempt. But it's true, Your Honor. I'm
10: the president of the Gildersleeve Girdle Company.
11: Oh, Uncle tell him the truth. He doesn't make girdles,
3: Judge.
12: Yeah.
10: And what does he do?
3: Steal foundations.
10: I bet he would, too.
3: <laughs>
12: now, no more interruptions, my boy. Remember, this is a courtroom. You realize who I am, of course.
11: Sure, you're a ball legged little tin guy. What? How, Roy. you just said so yourself, Uncle Mort. Oh,
10: you did? Uh, just a little joke, Your Honor. You know how I kid.
12: Uh, I know. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you a plain question, and I want a plain answer. Uh, what business are you in?
10: Well, I... Uh, oh, uh, that is... Uh, Leroy, would you mind going out into the hall and get me some, uh, some ice water? One moment Who's running this court? You or I?
11: Better not get Uncle Mort mad, Judge Last night he threw a whole bucket of water on a guy in the bus under him Oh,
10: my, here we go again
3: (laughs) He did It is? Yeah, and this poor sap woke up and thought it was raining Oh (laughs) You ought to hear Uncle Mort tell (laughs) him Thanks,
12: I will Let's hear all about it, Uncle Mort.
0: But, Judge Hooker, it's after five o'clock. This poor
12: man's been on the witness stand all day. All and right, it... all right. One more question, then I'll hand down my decision. Mr. Gildersleeve, what makes you think that you have executive ability?
10: Well, I have a large staff of my own. And through years of experience, I know the proper relationship between employer and employee. <laughs> your Honor. Yes, Mr. Wills? Our firm has thoroughly investigated
5: Mr. Gildersleeve, and we're satisfied as to his qualifications. Uh-huh.
12: Mr. Wills, I have great respect for you and your associates. That is probably the only reason why I'm going to grant your petition. Hey! However, in order to protect these children from their own misguided enthusiasm, I'm going to require this Gildersleeve... To report to me every single week. Uh, but he your honor. He get an okay for every cent that he spends. But judge. And I will require him to post a bond of fifty thousand dollars in cash.
10: Now see here, Hooker. <laughs> I won't stand for this. I'll resign.
12: Quiet. You'll just leave. I never sent for you. You came here begging for this job. To quote from Broby versus Union Buggy Corporation, Civil Court of Nebraska. You made your bed and you can't lie out of it. But
10: my business in Wispel Vista. You remain here and
12: make this estate pay or go to jail for contempt.
10: Now, wait a minute. I'm not... Court is a jack. I'll kill that old goat. <laughs> <laughs> Ted, we've got to do something about this. Do you realize that a $50,000 bond would not only take every cent of my ready cash, but also means a mortgage on my gaudle works? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Gee, I'm sorry about how the whole thing went, Mr. Gildersleeve.
11: Well, maybe if we went into the judge's chamber... We could persuade him to lower the bond, little Moore. Sure, just let me talk to
10: him. Young man, you've talked enough for one day.
11: How about it, Tim?
10: Well, it won't hurt to try. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Uh, Excuse us, Judge Hooker. Uh, You remember me, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) I I thought perhaps maybe we could possibly get that little cash bond reduced.
12: I don't see why I should
10: If you spoke to somebody who'd known me for a long time, they might convince you that... I'm not such a bad fellow. <laughs>
12: oh, that would be
11: fine, Uncle Morris. Yeah. Who could the judge talk to?
10: Why, uh, the president of the Whistle Vista Chamber of Commerce. He's my next-door neighbor, too. A chap named Fiverr McGee. We can call him long-distance, Your Honor.
3: Yes,
12: yes, I see, Mr. McGee. Yes, I'm glad you put me straight on that.
10: Yes. Yeah. I knew my little chum would set me in right. That's a very good point. Leroy, I want you to meet McGee one of these days. There's one of nature's noblemen. I guess you've made up my mind for me, Fibber. Uh, Fibber. <laughs> Hold the phone a second. I'll tell him.
12: Gildersleeve. Uh, yes, Judge? Gildersleeve, I've decided to rescind that $50,000 bond. Uh...
10: I knew that would happen if you spoke to my little pal.
12: Yes, after talking to McGee, I'm going to make that bond a hundred thousand dollars. What? Give me that telephone. Hello?
10: You're a hard man, McGee. George Leroy, I'm going to show that judge I can run that estate, or my name won't be Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve.
11: You better warn Uncle Mort; you won't even have a name.
10: Yeah, no, I'll just have a number. Good night, folks. <laughs> Original music on tonight's
5: program was composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon saying goodnight for craft and reminding you to tune in again next week at the same time to hear the further adventures of the great Gildersleeve. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Sam Spade, followed by Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer.